0: Lots of people actually say, why did you open your second store so close? Surely you're cannibalizing it. And it's like, absolutely not. They absolutely support each other. It's one of the best decisions ever made.
1: Welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Fifth Wave. A few weeks back, we aired an episode exploring the magic of the little local, where we spoke with three successful independent London coffee operators to uncover the secrets to a thriving neighbourhood cafe. One of the guests was Peter Dorr-Smith, the man behind the iconic caffeine and one of the early pioneers of the London specialty coffee movement. I've known Peter for over 10 years now and always thoroughly enjoyed our conversations. And this one was no different, packed full of powerful insights and nuggets of wisdom from his years at the helm of two revered hospitality venues. And so today, we're sharing that conversation in full. Peter tells the story of how he started Caffeine, his thoughtful, people-centric approach to hiring, and why delivering true hospitality within his local community is the driving force behind his business. Welcome, Peter. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. It's an honor to be here. We've known each other quite a while, and you were one of the really early pioneers of the London specialty coffee scene. So we're also honored to have you here. I wonder if you could share with our global audience the background of caffeine and how you came to coffee anyway. The funny thing is I'm not really in coffee, but I've always, always been in
0: hospitality. So I'm now 53 years old. And when I was around 15 years old, I said to my mum, I want to be a hotel manager. And of course, I grew up in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne. And so that's when I started getting into hospitality. And that's what I absolutely enjoy is the buzz and the energy of of service and looking after people and the instant gratification you get when you see people enjoying Mm. what you're doing and looking after. And so I worked in Melbourne until I was 25 years old and then uh, came to London in 1995 and I had a, a fabulous, fabulous time. In fact, my dad said to me, you should wow. go and get a career and go into management. And I did that for about two weeks. And then I decided to just stay in London and, and go to parties and go traveling and be a waiter and had a good time. But when I went back to Melbourne after my visa expired, which was 1998, I noticed then that coffee in Melbourne had started to change. That there were specialty coffee shops. We didn't even call it specialty then. Shops that had opened that were architecturally designed. The food was much better. The decor of the shop was incredibly better. The coffee obviously tasted better. And these were places that people used to go to. So, of course, I used to go as well. And uh, I was incredibly lucky still that I met a beautiful girl. And we got married in 2002. And in 2004, we came to London on a holiday. And uh, that was also the year that uh, Malta joined the EU. My wife's family is from Malta, so she got a passport. And our friends in London said, why don't you come back and live in London? And we're like, what a great idea. <laughs> That's great. So 2005, we came back. But of course, the first thing we did was say, where do we go to get a good cup of coffee in London? We found a place called Providoor's in Malibu, which unfortunately has gone now, but that was one of the uh, good spots. Um, and then one day I was walking down Berwick Street in Soho. I looked up and I saw a shop called Flat White. And I looked at it and I was like, hey, that looks all right. I walked in, I ordered a Flat White. I drank it, I rang my wife and I said, we've found good coffee in London. And so we came to London for maybe two years and we wanted to travel and have fun. And My wife had never been here before. And so that's what we did for those few years. And then in 2006, I got a job at Lord's Cricket Ground as the staffing manager. And for me, someone who came from the outer suburbs of Melbourne, who was never very good at anything, I'm now working at the greatest cricket ground in the world. And that was fantastic. But at the same time, we were also thinking about maybe there's an opportunity to open my own coffee shop. Yeah. And so my wife eventually, she said to me, you've got to stop talking about it and just go and do it. So that was maybe around 2007 or 2008. We started on the business plan. We started looking for sites. And in August of 2009, we found our first site in Fitzrovia. And it's gone on from there. But you know, at that time in 2009, there was five or six specialty coffee shops in London. Mm. James Hoffman had started uh, yep. Square Mile, of his Flat White Milk Bar. Taylor Street Baristas were around. Tina, We Salute You, Lantana, Bees of Bloomsbury. Uh, Gwillem Davies from Prufrock. Ross Brown from Browns of Broccoli yep. was down there as well. And I remember those early days, just we would meet up once a month on a Wednesday night and have beers. And we'd basically talk about, goodness me, what have we done here? And are we doing the right thing? And is this ever going to survive? And- what problems are you having? And we didn't really know what we were doing. And then basically it started to kick off and the industry exploded. And by 2012, what I call the wave of coffee had
1: flooded across London and everything started opening. And effectively, here we are today. Yeah, that was such early days. And I remember our first London coffee guide in 2011, <laughs> running around London in 2010. So it brings back lots of memories to me. Um, you once told me that you'd rather have one gold mine than 10 holes in the ground. That's right. And you've now got two outlets, whether yep. they're gold mines or holes in the ground. I'll let you to decide. But they are beautiful cafes and they're extremely well-regarded across the world. It's a, a place where people absolutely come when they go on a pilgrimage to London to your shops. Tell us about why you've kind of stopped, at least for now, on two, rather than taking that formula and going beyond that?
0: That's basically a very easy question to answer. Um, as I said before, from th- 2009, we didn't know what we were doing, really. We didn't really know, is this going to work? It, I thought it would work because it worked in Australia or in New Zealand. I knew there were coffee shops there, so surely it's going to work over here, but we didn't really know. Another part of the story is when I signed with the architects and paid a deposit in around... May or June of 2009, we found out we were pregnant with our first child. And I said to my wife, Right, I haven't signed the lease yet. All I've done is pay the architects. Shall I stay in my job or should we go ahead? She said, Go ahead. So then Layla was born in January of 2010. I remember you coming in, Jeffrey, and you were like, This shop's amazing. You could have 50 of these. Yeah. And I think that's when I <laughs> said, I'd rather have a gold mine than 10 holes in the ground. But you predicted that, which is very nice. But in January of 2010, I had 1,500 pounds left in my bank account. And I'm not financially backed. My wife has her own job. We basically borrowed money from the bank. And that was all the money I had left in the bank account in January, the, basically the week my daughter was born. So from then, it was effectively build the business up, build the business up, reinvest in the business, because it certainly wasn't perfect when we first opened. Build the business up, build the business up. And then and money started coming in. And as you know, 2011, 12, 13 were, were huge years. And I'm really fondly look back at that now as I didn't realize it at the time, but I now look back and go, they were very special times. Yeah. Um, and then we found out that we were having our second child. Mm. And I said, right, I'm not going to open any more shops now until I know that my wife and my family are safe and secure mm. and happy. And I could have opened more, but I was like, nah, I'm going to focus on the family. Mm-hmm. When Layla was born, I had a week off. And that's not fair on anybody. Yeah. So Christian was born in uh, March, 2013. And when he was one year old, I distinctly remember I was changing his nappy and I thought, I said to him, right, I'm going to open a second shop now. Yeah. And so we found the second site in East Castle Street. Fantastic place. Perfect to rent a ratio for me. One street back from Oxford Street. Rundown area, rundown location, the opportunity to regenerate and bring that location and that se- section of the street back to life. Um, and so we opened in March two thousand fifteen when he was one year old. But the success of Great Titchfield Street was great, and I'm fairly humble. I thought, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to kick off. It's going to be yeah. great. Caffeine, Fitzrovia, everyone knows who we are. Mm. It's going to be amazing. And and it wasn't. It was very very quiet. There was lots of building work going on in the area. There was scaffolding there. And it took a long time for East Castle Street to pick up to the level that I thought it would. In fact, it took four years. And again, I almost ran out of money. Yeah. And I don't want to go crowdfunding. I don't want to get private investors. I want to do this myself. Yeah. I feel that's the best path for me. Yeah. So 2019, both shops, you may say, gold mines. Yep. Or at least they're mines, not not gold. Uh, And then the pandemic came. Yeah. But at the same time, my always plan was let's build a second shop and then let's provide for the family. Yep. So that is, for me, buying a house with the help of my wife, absolutely, and her family and everything else, not just me, renovate that house, Mm -hmm. make sure my family are safe and secure from my wife's point of view as well, And then we'll see where we are. And effectively, that's the point we're at now. I've got the two shops. We're doing okay. I've got the house. The family's safe. The family's happy.
1: Potentially now we can start looking for that third place. And would that third place be around the same area?
0: Yeah, definitely. Within the same area. I mean, you know Danny Meyer's book, Setting the Table. Within that, basically, he says when he set up his businesses in New York, they were all within a ten-minute walk of yeah. each other, and to me, that's one of the greatest pieces of advice. You know, lots of people actually say, "Why did you open your second store so close? And surely mm. you're cannibalising it?" And yeah. it's like, they're absolutely not. They absolutely support each other. It's one of the best decisions ever made.
1: I can't believe it's eight years. <laughs> yes, I know <laughs> since his Castle Street opened. I mean, it just feels like yesterday.
0: It does. And and luckily as well, yeah. You know, with the, uh, Great Titchfield Street, it was, I don't have enough money. I just opened it. Make money, reinvest, make money, reinvest, make. Blah, blah. East Castle Street was invest lots of money and have it built, done, and not touch it again. Mm. And effectively, we haven't touched it again mm. for eight years. It's pretty much stayed the same, which is great because you're not putting money constantly into yeah. the business. Yeah. Yeah. But as you know, yeah. the pandemic has put a hole in that eight-year period of time. I kept Great Titchfield Street open for most of the time. We only closed for like two or three months, mm. but East Castle Street was closed for most of the time and took a long time to build back. Yeah, um, but now East Castle Street is busier than Great Titchfield during the week, and on weekends, uh, Great Titchfield brings it back and it's pretty much even on in terms of
1: uh, revenue for the week on both shops. That's great. And are you now back to post pandemic? Levels of revenue? Or yes. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: mean, yeah. when you look at revenue, we've put our prices, prices up, up and we've, so, in, yeah. we've introduced a brunch menu, yeah. which is amazing. The chefs have done a fantastic job on that. And so that obviously increases your spend per head as well and attracts more customers. Yeah. So I think when you're looking at revenues, you've got to be careful yeah. because it's not just, yeah, yeah it, there's factors that have changed in relation to mm-hmm. that. Uh, what you look at is how many people are coming through yeah. the door and it's very much pre-pandemic levels except Monday and Friday, yeah. but yeah. they are picking up as well. Great. So mm.
1: um, tell us about localness. What does it mean to you? you know, or, or is it important to your business?
0: Oh, yeah, it's incredibly important. And that's one of the reasons that we chose that area. I always wanted to have uh, the demographic of fashion media design and advertising people rather than maybe being in the city or being in the suburbs. Each of those has their own localness to them. But I think really being a part of that community and a part of that area is hugely important. It's another reason why I wanted to open a second shop in that area. Uh, I've been complimented as being the king of Fitzrovia for that (laughs) which is a lovely compliment. But if you think about Fitzrovia itself and caffeine is where you go, because I have the two shops, it creates strength in that too. Um, So that's a lovely thing. But also, you know, it's more often than not these days, if I'm working on service, I'll be talking to people and I'm sure... You're the same, Jeffrey. Yeah. People want to see you, meet you, say hello to you. They look up to you in many cases. So that's a really wonderful thing. It's, we don't get involved in community projects or anything similar like that at all. Uh, we just want to be a strong part of that community and support it. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and I get a sense that there's a, an increasing residential base now to Fitzrovia. I'm not too sure
0: if it's no. increasing. Okay. But it's certainly more than I expected it to be from the first uh, how many residents there are and there's a very very wide cross section of residents in Vitrovia because mm-hmm. obviously it's very very central london and so there's a, a very high end resident who can afford to live there and there's also other people who maybe are in council housing or or similar situations who m- don't have the money to go out to a, a coffee shop you know but the main business comes from obviously the local offices And then on weekends, you know, you obviously your shoppers and your tourists are coming through. And that's always been, from my very first business plan, the sort of demographic of people who I'd want to come. Mm -hmm. Office workers, Antipodeans, because we're Australian, obviously, but we don't focus on that massively. Um, Coffee people who come because they know that we make good coffee. Uh, Local residents, tourists. And, you know, there's more and more people these days who are searching out good coffee when they come to London. Mm. I remember the days, you know, flat white and people would come in and say, what's a flat white? Can I, can I have one? And like, yeah, it's coffee, mate. You can have one. It's okay. Now everybody has like Americans, everybody's just coming in. Hey, I'll have a flat white. I'll have a flat white. It's just absolutely everywhere. Mm. And I really, really put that down to that original store in Berwick Street, flat white. The reason why that drink is so popular is because of that store. Yep. And when people come in, I did this last week. And they say, I'm going on a coffee tour in London. Where should I go? I think you should do a pilgrimage to Flat White in Berwick Mm -hmm. Street. Yeah. Because that's absolutely, for me, one of the original stores that still exists. And I have a huge amount of respect for that store.
1: Uh, Great. So this sense of localness, is there any techniques or any aspects of your business you focus on to make sure that you appeal to the local audience or stay connected to the local audience that you have around you?
0: For me, it's the factor that we use for everything. It's the primary driving force of my business is hospitality, is looking after people, is making them feel welcome, is making sure that they feel better when they leave than they did when they arrived. And you're doing that to people within the local area. And I work very hard to try and make sure I have a good continuation of staff in terms of long-term staff members, and we do that very well. And, uh, you know, people from the local area come in once, twice, sometimes three times a day. So you're having 20-second, 10-second, 30-second conversations with them, making connections. I mean, you know, another thing actually in the pandemic was, uh, you know, we had the rope at the front door and we were just running coffee to people and nothing else was open, but you couldn't do anything. And Mm. people from the local area come down and go, you're the only thing we do all day. Yeah. And if you weren't here, we wouldn't know what to do. We'd be yeah. lost. And like that was like, oh, my God, I've got enough pressure at the moment. Now I need to keep my shop open to keep people from basically, I don't know what they're going to do. And so having that local community thing and being part of that is hugely important. You may remember that uh, they had the El Fresco dining mm-hmm. outside as well. Sure, there's an underlying thing. It's my business and I need it to survive and also to try and make more revenue. But it was also about trying to bring alfresco dining to Great Titchfield Street because Westminster forgot us. I worked very
1: hard on trying to do that, and we did. And that was a huge thing to show that we're part of the community as well. Do you think post-COVID, or was there something about COVID that helped to bring more community to your business or just back to normal now?
0: I think so. I think because it showed that what we wanted to do, how hard we worked, and how many people actually came up and said, Oh my goodness! I'm so glad you're still here. I'm so glad that you've survived. I'm so glad you're still part of this area and part of this street. Lots of people who obviously people their their lives changed and they're working from home or uh, you know they're no longer in the office. And I'd see them come in. And they're like, "Oh, hello! I haven't seen you for a while." And I would say, oh, "I've got a dentist appointment today, but I couldn't come to this area without coming to see you again because I don't, I don't come here anymore." Yeah, I'll come in for the physio. I'll come in for a haircut. I'll come in for this, and I'll come in to get a coffee too because I wanted to come back to something that I feel mm. a part of and that's really important too I think is making someone feel yep. that they are a part of something and that's a business thing too you want people to not think about having to change their habits and go somewhere else you want them to feel connected in a relationship mm. with you and for me that's an important part of my role is to be able to say hello to people and shake their hand and thank them for coming and create that
1: connection now you you obviously do that very well. How do you build a team that's going to do that when you're not there? Ah, uh, we employ them in the first place.
0: Okay. Uh, um, <laughs> so you, oh, you, need to, you need to find the right people to do that, yeah. and you reject the ones who you think they cannot. But also from the very start of the recruitment process, you make it very apparent that this is a hospitality business, and that's what we do. You know we're here for hospitality. And when I say recruit people who do that, Some people in their CVs will put down, for example, their coffee experience, and then you get on the phone, like, oh, yeah, I worked as a waiter, I worked as a bar person, I worked as this, I worked as that. I'm like, why didn't you put that on your CV? I didn't think it was relevant. Yeah. But it's incredibly relevant because I can – you work in hospitality and you've worked all these different jobs. and Come and work for me, please. Yeah. Yeah, because you enjoy looking after people. There's nothing worse than going somewhere and being miserable. Or not having someone who wants to be there, that's awful. And so that's, that's a hugely important part of, of doing that is making sure
1: hospitality is part of that key process. Any key questions you ask when you're interviewing to, to find that hospitality person? Uh, no, I wouldn't say
0: there's key questions. It's also very important to try and find someone who's going to fit in with the team. You know, we're making five or 600 coffees a day on a weekday, there's five people working behind the bar in a very tight space. You're working 40 to 45 hours a week with people. You need to find someone who's going to fit in with that team first and foremost and not create friction. So you try and just have a nice conversation with them and have a chat to them. I've had a number of interviewees say to me, no one's ever interviewed me like you before. And they're just having these conversations and asking the questions and trying to find out about the person because that's really important. You're starting a relationship with a person and you want to make sure. And also, I really, really try hard to, I believe I do this, show respect and prove respect to them from the very start, that you respect them and you respect who they are, but also
1: that you expect respect back. Let's now talk just very briefly about local competition. Do you worry about your local competition? I don't massively worry about it.
0: But at the same time, it also drives me and my employees, especially my key staff members, to work harder mm. and to beat them. Mm. If you're just the lone runner in a race consistently, all you do is beat yourself. Yeah. You know? But when you have people racing against you, then you've got to hopefully start pushing yourself to, to get even better mm. and do it even harder. But at the same time, it's also really good to have that competition in the area because it's bringing more focus on the area and more people into the area. You know, if you get an article saying Fitzrovia is the place to go for coffee because you have this place, this place, this place,
1: this place, which used to happen, that's still a positive thing. And just any kind of wonderful stories of that sort of sense of local spirit or community spirit that you have observed over your time of being a coffee shop. There's a
0: story about the lady who who's a writer for a newspaper or something like that, and, and she came in and, and basically she did her pregnancy test in the toilet of caffeine wow. and found out she was pregnant. And then she's written stories about it. And that was oh, one wow. of the, she came out of the bathroom and sat down with her husband and, and said, oh, yeah, oh, we're pregnant. And this is amazing. And got the twins, two young ladies who are Swedish, and they come two or three times a day and they sit out the front for the last 12 years. Mm. They work in hospitality and they just sit out the front and chat, chat, chat to themselves. And they're a huge part of our business. They're so just a lovely part of the. And they live locally. I don't think I really realize how important the coffee shop is to a local area mm. and how important that is to the thread of the community and the well-being of the community. Like I said before, with the pandemic, you are the only thing we do all day. Um, and so that's a huge responsibility to have and a huge
1: honor. One final question. Yep. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given a lot of them relate back to uh, some fella called James
0: Hoffman, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, he said, you want to be the best coffee shop in your area. Just focus on that because that's where your locals are. And then we talk about localness and community. You focus on being the best in your area, you're going to do very well. And that's where they're all going to come from. So August 2009, I focus on that. And then very luckily in t- February 2010, I was awarded best independent coffee shop in Europe. And so then I thought to myself, well, that's now my goal. I always want to be regarded as one of the best coffee shops in Europe. And if we are, then we're going to be the best in the area as well. Okay. So I know I can achieve that. Um, And that's what I also say to new employees who are coming on. And I say to them, I want to do that for my mum back home in Australia, for my children and my wife. I want to do it for the customers. and I also want to do it for you who are working here. For you to be able to say, you work at one of the best coffee shops in the UK. And when you say that, people will hopefully recognize that and respect you. And I think that's hugely important.
1: Well, that's absolutely great to have here in the studio, Peter. You're welcome. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to The Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this show, please recommend us to a friend or colleague. If you want to stay informed, visit worldcoffeeportal.com to get access to all the latest global coffee news, including the weekly Coffee Dose, our newsletter collecting all the big coffee news stories of the week. This episode was produced in the one and only Serenity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, James Harper of Filter Productions and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And this week's track in collaboration with The Coffee Music Project is fortunately by Scott Krokhoff. Until next time, stay safe, stay passionate, and stay caffeinated.
2: In there, that's just how I feel Your beauty, it stunts. Fortunately, my life's in your hands Every time you blow my mind You take me out of my blue time you blow my mind you take